0: So we heard uh, from Miss Diane that the children are launching a year-long emphasis on prayer. Every month they're going to pick a project that they're going to share with the whole congregation. And as they learn to uh, take on the practice of prayer in their own lives, they're going to be inviting us to be a part of that. And so when Diane was telling me about this back in the fall and sharing this idea with me, I said, man, that sounds great. So why don't we introduce the first part of the year, a series, a worship series on prayer, and make that, in essence, the grounding force for 2021 for us. And in fact, we're going to do it on the one prayer that all Christians share and have in common. That is the Lord's Prayer. It is scriptural, and that is why we have it in common. So that's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we give you thanks as we enter into your presence. We bring all of our expectations with us. So as we enter this holy space, this worshiping space, may the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. Amen. So as a child, I remember learning how to pray. At first, it was at mealtime, and I learned a, a rope prayer, something that goes like, uh, "Give us um, so I can't remember." All of a sudden, "What well, God is great, God is good." Thank you, Diane. Yeah, God is great, God is good. Okay, um, and then I learned one before you go to bed, and that is uh, now I lay me down to sleep. You know, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Those. We learn so early, we learn way early. Later, as I grew up and became a part of the church community, I learned the prayers of the church. Prayers like uh, the prayer of St. Francis. I learned uh, the denominational prayers like the Wesleyan covenant prayer that we prayed last week. And, And eventually I learned prayers that our society holds in common, whether we are Christians or not, like the serenity prayer. But the one prayer that seems to cut across all of Christianity is the Lord's Prayer. And that is because it is scriptural, as I mentioned a little bit ago. It comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew and from the Gospel of Luke. Both of those evangelists tell us that Jesus shared this prayer with his disciples. And if you've ever been to a Catholic mass, as I have, you show sometimes your real Protestant colors because they only say the scriptural portions of that prayer. And we have a tendency to continue on and we're the only voice speaking for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, and all of a sudden we recognize that that we're showing our true colors as Protestants. So today I want to look at what uh, Luke has to say a little bit about this prayer and I want to look at the lines of the prayer. So when Luke is uh, talking about Jesus sharing this, he is sharing it with his disciples. Now the disciples have seen Jesus for uh, about 19 chapters now, or like 18 or 11 chapters I think, 11 chapters, and they have seen him heal. They have seen him feed multitudes with very little food. And they've seen him calm the storms. I mean, have power over nature. Okay? They've seen him go away to pray and to illuminate and stand in the presence of God and the saints that have gone before so they know that when Jesus prays, he knows what he's talking about. And so they say, Jesus, won't you tell us How to pray, like John's disciples learn how to pray from John. And so what Jesus gives them is a model for prayer. A model, a list of items that Jesus doesn't want us to forget about whenever we go to the Lord in prayer. He wants us to fill in the blanks, really. Each line, each line of the Lord's Prayer is an invitation into a, launching a whole host of prayers. The first line, all about honor and glory and praise, okay, the first line invokes within us a multitude of prayers. And and so on and so forth. As we go down through it, we can see those. So what we're going to do in this series over the next six weeks is we're going to break them down, kind of phrase by phrase, each of these areas that Jesus wanted to emphasize. And we're going to spend the week really focusing on an invitation to pray intentionally around that one area of focus in our lives. Now this series is going to be um, i'm going to use a real churchy word for you right here didactic didactic means simply it's going to be instructional right it's going to be have homework with it okay so at the end of every every sermon, we are going to leave this place with work to do we're going to leave this place having heard and then practice what we what we have learned, in order that we might know more about ourselves and we might learn and grow in depth with God. We will, um, for some of us, taking on a practice of prayer every single day in an intentional, routine way will be easy because we do that. For some of us, it might be something new, something new to take on, like a New Year's resolution to hit the gym. But it is my hope that you will join me in hitting your knees as well as the gym this new year, even if it's figuratively, if not literally. So let's get started. I want to talk a little bit about the first phrase, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In that little phrase, Jesus is telling us who God is, where God is, and why we pray to God. So we're gonna unpack it a little bit. Who God is, is our Father. Now, when Jesus said this, our Father, he was risking all kinds of things because that is not what a first century Jew called God. In fact, a first-century Jew did not utter the name of God. In, in the scribes, when they wrote about God, it was common for them to write the name Yahweh, we learned that name, Yahweh, in the, in the script, and then they throw the pen away. That's how sacred and holy to say the name of God was. And so for Jesus to say, let's start your prayer saying, our Father, to call God by a name, was pretty amazing. Would have been shocking. But then on top of that, the term that Jesus uses here is all too familiar. It's all too casual for the hearers of this prayer. Now let me explain. When we say the word father in our English language, it kind of brings a formality to us, right? We think the word father is a formal term for parent. But in fact, when Jesus spoke this word, he uses a Greek word, which is called p- uh, p-tier, p-tier, okay, which is based on an um, Aramaic word called abba. Or daddy okay so it becomes familiar and intimate and boy did that shake their roots that Jesus says you can have a familiar and intimate relationship with God it probably shook them to their root Jesus spoke of God as father and now invites us to claim that same relationship with with God now we understand Father as the first person of the Trinity, and we also understand this word Father sometimes has a problem in our modern society. Because this image of Father in our own life invokes all kinds of emotions for us, depending on what relationship we might have had with our own earthly fathers. If, if our relationship was strong and good, this is a good term for us. But some fathers, earthly fathers, are absent or abusive. So to use the image, the language for God as a human man who fathers children, we need to be careful. So what I want to do here is break down and take a deeper look at this term father, that we say father, that we translate into father, that is Abba or "patir" in Greek. Because I think it will help you understand the depth of what's really going on here. Because in the Greek and the Aramaic, there's this relational, this mutual give and take relationship behind that meaning. Not necessarily a a parent-child relationship. It describes a relationship that is deep and trusting, one that is treasured, one that a person could truly rely on. It's mutual. It's a give and a take. It, in other words, Jesus is asking us to claim a relationship with, with God which is intimate, which is trustworthy, which is mutual and reciprocal. A scholar that I was reading this week reminded me that this word intimacy is really important. He says, he uses this, this kind of phrase to, to help us get a grasp on what it means to be have an intimate relationship with another, and that is intimacy can be into me you see. Into me you see. Making ourselves vulnerable in a way that we do not fear rejection. And so this God, Jesus is asking us to have this relationship with God, one that is built on trust, one that is built on intimacy, one that is vulnerable, and one that does not fear rejection. And then we say, our Father, who art in heaven. So let's unpack this heaven. God doesn't live someplace that is separate from us. God does not live in this high, holy place that watching over us, someplace we have no access to. Instead, this heaven is more a notion of a Of a a characteristic of this place this place that God resides is a place of wholeness and completeness and Jesus is saying that this God who we call Abba or father or daddy who desires this intimate relationship with us exists in a realm a realm that is whole and complete filled with love light and darkness cannot exist so then we get to, "Hallowed be thy name. And one of my favorite stories about children who learn the Lord's Prayer long before they can read, and, and how they, they say it, and they pick up on our words that are not common words in our language. And then they translate them into their own accessible words. And I'm reminded of the story of the little boy who says, Our Father, who art in heaven, herald be your name. I know we've all heard that one, right? Herald be your name. This invites us into a relationship with God because God's name is holy. Holy and hallowed. And so when we pray to God, we are picking up God's holy name. No matter what we call God, whether we call God Abba, Father, Daddy, Yahweh, or even Harold, we are uttering holy words. We're lifting this name up as holiness. And when I look at Scripture throughout all of Scripture, there is plenty of opportunity to praise God's holy name the psalms are filled with praises of this holy God. Many of them become the foundation of our Christian hymnody and our contemporary Christian music. But in particular, I was taking a look at what Luke has to say about this praise, this holiness about God and how it transcends even our human relationship with God. You see, Luke um, um, presents and proclaims a cosmic Christ all throughout his gospel. He is making the claim that Christ is more than a human man, but the cosmic creator of the world. That he came to save each nation, all nations, Jews, Greeks, Samaritans, Gentiles, you, me, So it's not surprising that when Jesus rides into Jerusalem in the final days, he enters a gate opposite of what's going on across town. Pomp and circumstances of when Pilate rides into town, Jesus rides in in humility to call out this difference between a cosmic understanding of kingdom and a worldly understanding of power. Even when he does this, he catches the attention of the people and he catches the attention of the authorities. So to truly understand what this holiness, this praise is, that is befitting a cosmic God, a cosmic Christ, an intimate God, we have to understand the influences of God's presence on all of creation. What happens when God enters through Christ into the scene. I'm gonna be reading from Luke 19. It's a part of of our um, story that we tell on Palm Sunday when Jesus enters into Jerusalem for the final time. But These are the final words in Luke, beginning at verse 37. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice And all the deeds of power that they had seen, they were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answers them, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of God for God's people. Thanks be to God. So I, I've often read that and, and thought that was an odd thing to say. You see, Jesus is writing in, and the Pharisees are really concerned because it's their job among the, uh, uh, the authorities of the temple to keep the crowds under control during this particular time of the year. And so he can see, they can see that Jesus is is getting the crowds excited and they're worried what that might mean. And so they say, Jesus, tell them to calm down. Okay? And then Jesus says this funny thing. He says, you know, here's the deal. When the creator is near, more than the creatures that the creator creates will be praising. Even the creation praises God. Even the creation praises God. We have heard it said, even the mountains sing out. Even the valleys will be brought up and the mountains made low. Everything will sing when the creator is present. So to say that Hallowed be your name, reminds us of our very place in creation. It reminds us that we need to be grateful to the creator of all creation. Praising God grounds us in this, a sense of humility, as Jesus showed us as he rode into town. Praising God grounds us in an attitude of gratitude for one another and for the Creator. There's a play several years ago called Shadowlands, and in that play is a character that is uh, the C.S. Lewis. It's a a play based on his life, and and the character C.S. Lewis says this really great thing about prayer. He says, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me that is radical guys when i pray to god even when i'm asking for something it is not god who will change it is me prayer has this way of taking up a living presence in our very soul it is organic it is organic it is authentic even when it is wrote even when it is wrote even when we only have the words of the Lord's Prayer to utter. And and when we take on the practice of prayer, it is like planting that seed in rich soil and watering it and watching it take root. And it begins to grow within us, changing us from the inside out. So here's our assignment this week. Our assignment, this is the didactic portion of this sermon series. Our assignment is to pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Pray it every day. And then concentrate on the first line. Finish the prayer and say the first line again. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And plant that seed in your mind, and every time you see something throughout the day that reminds you of the greatness of God, lift that praise. Pretty soon you'll begin to see it in the most incredible places. Places you would never expect to see God. Friends, let us let the praise begin. Let it begin with us, in our hearts, in our lives. I want to end every one of our sermons as we close in the, prayer, the Lord's Prayer together. And we will say it as a single voice, because it is not my voice. It is our voice who comes together. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven,